Hello and welcome to Beyond Sustainability, the podcast all about remediating and restoring our environment. Brought to you by Newfields Environmental Consultancy. I'm your host, Richard Williams, and in this episode, we will be discussing the impacts and management of marine oil spills. In particular, how to quickly and effectively monitor and track marine oil plumes. When marine oil spills occur, environmental response teams have to act as quickly as possible. Once the oil enters marine waters, ocean currents will start to propel the plume, causing it to expand and travel, ultimately affecting larger and larger areas of the marine and coastal environments. 2020 marks the 10-year anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, still the largest marine oil spill to date. That spill saw an estimated 4.9 million barrels of crude oil spill into the northern Gulf of Mexico. In the space of two months, the crude oil had migrated and was being found in many areas on the coastline, and response teams had to act quickly in order to provide cleanup support. This required a huge coordination effort in terms of data collection and communication. My two guests for this episode are both senior environmental engineers with Newfields. The first is Mike Wilde, who has been with Newfields since his founding in 1995, and Jacob Ulrich, who has been with Newfields for about 13 years. Both Jacob and Mike were heavily involved in the data collection and interpretation for the Deepwater Horizon response. Mike worked primarily with the Seagrass team to assess impact from the oil, while Jacob worked with a number of different technical groups to assess impact to wetlands, nearshore environments and coastal shorelines. Mike and Jacob also started out collecting samples, or as Jacob will put it, boots on the ground. Mike, I'll start with you first. In terms of data collection and management, what was Newfield's involvement with the Deepwater Horizon project? Well, Newfield's um, played a, um, a really interesting role in this project where not only were we out in the field collecting data and directing data collection efforts um, all around the, the coastline, um, but our forensic team and our Boston office um, spearheaded the analytical chemistry and analysis of the data, looking at that in terms of fingerprinting. And then we had um, um, different parts of new fields um, play roles for the uh, various um, technical work groups, seagrass, shoreline, wetland, marine mammals. So even though we were a small company, we were involved uh, with the entire project in all phases. Thanks. So Jacob, can you expand on what data was collected and how it was managed? Sure. So at least as far as I was concerned, I was dealt with the, the near shore area quite a bit. So there were samples taken out in deep waters as well. I, most of Newfields wasn't involved in that type of sampling, but for us, we we dealt with all the matrices in the near shore. We did water sampling, sediment sampling. We did submerged sediment sampling. There was also oil and water sampling where we had pom-poms that were thrown overboard and we would collect them later on to retrieve them and see if there's any anything that would fluoresce using a UV light to see if there's any oil on them. We did oyster sampling. We did uh, marsh grasses and Anything that was involved with the near shore, periwinkles, fiddler crabs, all of that was involved in it. So pretty much anything you can think of that was a, a matrix that would be of interest in an oil spill, that we were involved in sampling those. That's amazing. So the sheer amount of data that was collected must have been huge. Absolutely. How, how was this managed? Was this all put into one central database? Was one person in charge of it or was it a, a large, larger sort of group effort? Um, 
That's a great question, Rich. Uh, the the data was managed by NOAA um, and collected in their um, a variety of systems, which actually expanded over time. You know, it started with just simple spreadsheets to try to um, compile the data. Then it went into um, an online system called Irma, uh, which was eventually expanded to another more comprehensive system called Diver, which not only tracked the analytical chemistry and the sampling information of the data, as well as the locations, but the actual lab sheets um, and sample collection sheets. Uh, so the hard copies of those um, in addition to field photographs. So it was a great um, treasure trove uh, of data, which Newfields was then able to um, process, manage, and analyze. Yeah, I think something that's really key in this is we, we live in a day and age now where there's lots and lots of data that we can access and lots of data that can be collected. The hard part is taking that data and putting it into a format that can actually be useful for users. So for example, we go up to a site and we take the analytical data, we take those samples, send them to the laboratory. That laboratory comes back with results. That's typically what environmental consultants deal with. But the reality is here, we have tons of things that we call metadata. So data about the data, things like photographs, things like well, the weather at the time, the samplers, all this other data that's associated with the data that's been collected. And reality is a lot of that data is just as important as the final analytical result that comes back from the lab, especially when it comes to interpreting the, the results, interpreting the, the, the nuances or the contextualization of the results that you're receiving. So uh, an example, one of the things we did for the coastal wetland vegetation work group, they, they were taking samples close to the edge, further back from the edge, and then, and then quite a bit distance from the edge of the, the water. And uh, we would take some some total petroleum hydrocarbon samples from close in the, in the sediment up close and then further back. And the reality is without seeing some of the photographs, it was hard to interpret it. Was that really oil or was that some existing, pre-existing stuff? So when you couple the photographs to that, now you have this really strong argument. No, this was a high TPH value that was also associated with a with a pretty heavy oiling component as well. And so now you can compare the oiling that you see on this particular plot with a similar result with another marsh in a different state. And you can now have this great comparison between the two that you wouldn't have just looking at the data by itself. Managing that is a whole nother level. And that's where things like NOAA, where they created Diver, they did a really good job of putting all these things together where they had not only the analytical data, but they had access to these photographs and access to the field sheets, all these things that are really important to interpreting the, the holistic view of the data collection. So it sounds like a lot of that data was looking at how the oil had been impacting various ecosystems and um, coastal environments. Uh, what about actually monitoring the plume itself? How can you tell what the size is and, and which way it's moving? Um, that was actually a very interesting exercise and extensively um, uh, looked at by a variety of teams. But mostly, they were collecting aerial imagery, satellite imagery uh, from planes, from helicopters. Uh, sometimes it was just visual sights from boats. Uh, they had spotters um, looking for the oil and when it's uh, appearing. But the interesting part about the uh, aerial imagery is they collected multi-spectral uh, imagery, 
um, high resolution so that once the images were collected, not only could they tell where the plume was, they could tell the composition of the plume and the depth and thickness of the plume. Uh, so that was very useful uh, in terms of tracking the plume and its movement. So the, the, the plume thickness and extent must have changed quite regularly under the influence of, of marine currents and things like that. Was this stuff, was this sort of information that had to be updated quite regularly to the response teams? How was that sort of managed and controlled? Um, yeah, the, the impact of the, the plume, especially when they started adding dispersants, uh, really did change the composition of the plume and how it moved. And sometimes the plume moved underwater rather than on top of the water. So in those instances, um, spotters were really useful in identifying when a plume arrived at a particular location and then when it stopped, uh, when it's moved on or coastal currents um, took it to another location. So the aerial imagery played a role in the beginning, uh, but I think as Jacob would say, the boots on the ground also played another role in, in actually identifying where the plume was. What would you say are the lessons learned from the Deepwater Horizon incident? You know, um, I would say uh, personally that don't underestimate the metadata. While everybody is focused on the chemistry of a sample, the metadata really helps us understand why a sample is, is showing those types of chemicals uh, versus another sample that might be nearby. And it might be the depth of the sample, how it was collected, when it was collected. So all of that information is, is important to collect. Yeah, just to go off of what Mike was saying, uh, during the analysis of a lot of the data, I, I can't tell you how many times that we would we would look at some of the samples and something just seemed off. It's like, why, why is this one value so much higher or so much lower? And we without that metadata, we wouldn't have any way to contextualize it. So we would be able to go back to the data sheets, be able to look at the photographs, basically get into the mind and the eyes of what the sampler saw on that day. And based on that, we were able to contextualize those results and put them in properly to our analysis. So it's, it's what Mike said is true, that metadata is very important. I wanna follow up with Jacob just said is, is I, and I don't wanna underestimate or undervalue um, the chemistry yeah. So our forensic team actually went into the data chemically and forensically to try to uh, pinpoint what are the important um, um, parameters to focus on. And that helped us um, look at the data because they were measuring for around a thousand different parameters. So it was great to have forensic chemists help um, focus um, our analysis of the data too. Fantastic. We, we have just, well, we plan on speaking with the forensic chemistry team in a, a later episode. So, so going back to the aerial imagery you mentioned earlier, did you use it for anything other than uh, locating and, and mapping the plume? Um, we actually did. We wanted to understand the impacts of uh, the oil on the seagrass. You know, the seagrass, uh, the meadows of seagrass actually act as a canopy uh, and a baffle the water and capture um, oil and, and um, contaminants, it's kind of its Achilles heel. So we, we wanted to see if the oil had impacts in um, diminishing the size uh, of the seagrass. So we used the aerial imagery, um, especially um, blue and green wavelengths, so we can look under the water to see where the seagrass was. 
Um, we collected um, aerial images or used aerial images from uh, in the fall of three years uh, to see if seagrass um, changed over time. Uh, and then when did it rebound? When did it start coming back? Uh, so we developed a, a technique to uh, almost like a, a forensic chemical technique using principal component analysis, but looking at the wavelengths uh, to separate the, um, the imagery into objects um, to see when a seagrass was present and when it wasn't present. Uh, and from that, we can look at the different years and do something called change detection analysis, how it changed over time, whether we have gains or losses in the seagrass. And then once you have the uh, analysis of the, the gains and the losses of the seagrass, you can compare that to the analytical chemical results of the samples of the seagrass, uh, the critters within the seagrass and the sediments to see if there's a correlation. And you've, you've published two uh, papers about that in the Marine Ecology Progress Series, is that correct? Um, yeah, it was a, a paper uh, and a supplement um, to uh, identify the analysis that we used and the techniques that we used. And the supplement went into great detail on the, uh, the image analysis and the multispectral uh, analysis of the, uh, of the seagrass. Now, looking at what's happening now, 10 years on, we still have uh, a number of marine oil spills happening either this year, even this year. Um, the, the leaking uh, oil vessel off the coast of Mauritius, for example. And also right now, the last week or so, we've heard about a oil ship off the coast of Venezuela that is currently sinking and has the potential of spilling its uh, cargo of oil. Um, what should the response teams to those incidents be doing right now in order to make sure that the impact of these potential oil spills or these ongoing oil spills is minimized to the uh, local ecology and local uh, ecosystems? Well, I think as far as response, there's obviously the response to the actual oil and cleaning it up and doing the booms and things like that. But from the data perspective, I think what's paramount is getting baseline data. So people should be going out and taking samples of the potentially impacted coastline, potentially impacted matrices, and get pre-oil impact samples. Because there's no way to tell something is impacted unless you have uh, the baseline to say how much it got impacted relative to that. So getting that data sometimes feels odd. I'm going out here and sampling clean soil when there's oil coming ashore. But that data is paramount. It's really, really important for coming up with your final conclusion. So. That's, that's number one. Getting out early is number two. You need to get out and start sampling the, the oil that's coming ashore because some of that oil may be coming in in just trace amounts or just small amounts. And you need to be capturing where that oil is hitting the shore as it's coming ashore because you know wave actions might be pulling it back out into the ocean. Uh, wave actions might actually be destroying the, the marsh land and it's, it disappears over time. We saw that down in Louisiana quite a bit with erosion. So getting where that impact was happening as it's coming in is important because that also is the basis for doing future sampling. Now you know where the oil was, you can, can determine the amount of oiling in different areas and do your, your uh, sampling design based on those things going forward. So those two things are critical at the first uh, few days to weeks into the first month of the oil spill. Um, Jacob, if I can uh, follow on with that is again, don't underestimate uh, and undervalue the metadata. 
collect that type of information, even if you're not sure if you're going to use it, other people might use information like that, especially um, looking at seagrass or coastal wetlands. Uh, what type of wetlands are you are you sampling? Uh, what um, mangrove uh, tree is that? Uh, what type of critters do you see? Um, that's going to have uh, uh, or that kind of data can be very valuable for different researchers in the future. And and I would also say too, getting a, a good structure for this data is really important right off the bat. Something Noah did very well at the very, very beginning is we had a very specific structure for how samples were going to be uh, named and how they were going to be handled in the database schema. And that didn't change much throughout the time. So that meant samples that were collected early on when things are just chaotic and crazy are just as valuable and just as robust as the samples that were collected you know, five years later that we have lots of information and lots of experience under our belts. So if you have that structure right off the bat, and instead of letting people just go out and just sample willy-nilly, you have a good structure for that, that, that makes the world of difference. And that was, uh, I think, a key to success at Deepwater Horizon. And that data now became available for people. So if you just taking data is is good, it's needed. But having that data siloed in different areas is it's meaningless at that point. Because you may have all this data for the marsh edge, and that's important for you, but someone else over here may need some of that data. If it's siloed, there's no way for you to cross talk and get information from each other. So one of the important things is making that data accessible for everyone. So yeah, I, I was only focused on Marsh Edge. Someone else was only focused on submerged oil. But some of the data between each other, if we can both access each other's data, now we can come up with a full picture of what's happening in our particular area that we're focusing on. It is, is really, really important for Deepwater Horizon to have that. Do you think Noah's Diver Tool was successful in that respect? Was it? Did it do everything it needed to from that? If for for us in new fields, yes, it was it was really really it was a valuable tool because it it linked the analytical with the metadata with the field sh sheets. All of that information was accessible and in storage. What we did at new fields is we took that data that was nicely packaged and then we took it into our own schema and did our own analysis with it. So we created our own sub databases to do the specific analyses that we needed. But the beauty of Diver was it was real time. So as new samples came in, we could just update and update our analyses. And with a few clicks of a button, now we had brand new analyses with the updated data, which was which was key. You know, because things are changing over time. You need to have that availability, quick access to the data. Do you know if similar systems have been used since for, for other environmental incidents? Or what had they been used previous previously to the uh, Deepwater Horizon incident? My my understanding is that Irma, what Mike was talking about before, was kind of the the main thing that Noah had had used in previous things, and they quickly found out that uh, the amount sheer amount of data that was being collected would not fit well into Irma, and so Diver was created specifically for this. Now Diver is being used for managing their data in lots of different aspects. So I believe moving forward, Diver or its concept is going to be their template for any, any future spills. Right, and, and then, uh, you know, what I would um, add on to that. Um, so I'd like to just, you know, add one more thing to that is, is be ready to expand how you're managing your data. 
that you might think you have a small data collection effort, but it can quickly grow on you. So make sure you have the systems in place that can capture large amounts of data in the same structured way, but um, also efficiently, um, and then make that data available for others to use now and in the future. And I wanna make sure that, um, to clear that it's important to practice what you preach. So new fields um, is very focused on rapid data collection, but also electronic data collection so that we can see the results real time. Um, not just the chemical results, but the metadata results. Uh, collect that information in the field, have it immediately uploaded to servers uh, so that we can start processing that information and understanding it and then conveying it to our clients. Yeah, we, we've noticed that there's this push or this, this uh, we're evolving into taking data much more quickly by using it in electronic format. So during Deepwater Horizon, we did everything in field sheets. So it was paper sheets that we were filling out, which is good, it's secure, there's no, no data issues with that. The problem with that is when you come back at the end of the day, all that data has to be transcribed by someone. And that transcription then has to take some time. It goes up to a database. Now that's all has to happen before you can access and start making conclusions with it. And there's also issues, many, many issues with actual transcriptions. They couldn't read the handwriting and whatnot. So what we've seen with new fields is as we start going into electronic data collection, a lot of those issues go away. First of all, the data is available almost immediately. Second of all, you can do a lot of that QA, QC embedded in the form itself. The form will not allow you to put data that is uh, completely wrong. And so it catches a lot of those errors uh, at the front end. And third, all that transcription issue is gone. It's, it is what the, the sampler put down. That's what you get in the database. So we're seeing that happening more and more. And I think in the future, if, uh, future oil spills that people are involved in, you're going to see that being the paramount way that people are going to access and take data. Well, thank you very much, guys, for your talk. It's been really interesting to learn about the uh, the data collection and, and how you guys have to manage this huge volume of data. Uh, is there anything else you'd just like to add at the end of this? Newfields had a great time working on this project, uh, but part of that was because of the teams that we were working with, from NOAA, from the USGS, uh, the state trustees and environmental groups, and an enormous... Um, um, collection of bright individuals with vast experience that helped enhance our um, processing and, and working on this project. Yeah, what Mike was saying is true. We got to rub shoulders with you know, experts in all these fields. It was really uh, a changing time for us, and we really appreciated that, that opportunity. So it was great, great experience. I'll always remember it. So that's the end of the episode. My thanks to Mike Wilde and Jacob Orig for speaking with me today. In the next episode, I'm going to be looking at the forensic chemistry investigations involved in identifying and determining the responsibility of oil deposits uh, from the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. But for more information about this podcast or Newfields Consultancy, you can visit our website at www.newfields.com or email us directly at rwilliams at newfields.com. Thanks a lot, and I hope you'll join me again soon. Bye-bye.